Well, please turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We come to verses 43 through 45, just a short passage, a very simple and yet challenging passage for us, because it deals with whether or not we can really change, and how do people really change? What's the secret to genuine transformation? Is it even, is it even necessary? Now, Jesus in this section, has just finished teaching his disciples to judge not. We talked about that last week. We argued that this is con- or that, that idea was connected to condemnation. It wasn't just talking about correcting a false doctrine or correcting even a sin in, in, a, in a person's life, but it was condemning them to the point of, of rejecting them, right? It's, it's condemning the... And so most person and shunning them rather than rebuking the sin. And so most people who quote this idea of judge not, they, they misquote it. They misapply it. They use it in such a way as anytime someone says something that they don't really like or that they don't believe uh, personally, that they would say, well, you know, judge not. To each his own, essentially, is how they use judge not. Let each person live how they want to live. It's not your responsibility to do the judging. Leave that up to God. And yet, in these very passages, the context before and during and after all reflect upon using judgment, using our discernment in understanding who we should follow, in understanding the kinds of fruit a person is producing. That requires some level of judgment. So the person who adequately, as we looked at last week, who adequately removes that plank from their own eye is able to properly inspect the eye of his brother. And that same principle is now here applied to the idea of bearing good fruit, of producing good fruit. So I would say that this moral revolution that Jesus is calling for, really in this whole chapter here, if you look back beginning in verse, uh, verses 27 moving forward, this idea of loving your enemies... Of not, of not condemning people and casting them off and rejecting them and having nothing to do with them, of, of, being, uh, of, of loving and serving and doing good to those who cannot do good to us, not expecting anything in return. That kind of moral revolution is what Jesus is calling for, and it's rooted predominantly in our own change of heart, in a disciple's change of heart. It's impossible apart from that. If you do not have a transformed heart, if you have not become a new creation in Christ, then we, these commandments that Christ is giving you uh, are impossible. Right? We, we must have a moral transformation, a change of heart. So before we read, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching from Jesus that oftentimes is misunderstood. So help us to understand it rightly. Give us eyes to see this truth and ears to hear it and soften our hearts to respond in obedience that we would be those who would bear good fruit. That we would have a treasure in our hearts that produces good and that our mouths would speak 
what is consistent with your word. It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. So read with me Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, we'll break this into two sections here, verses 43 and 45 just are giving us an illustration of trees that are known by their fruits, that we understand what kind of tree by the fruit that it produces. And of course, there's something more significant that he's getting at by that illustration, and that's that people are known by their expressions, or people are known by their actions and their words, their speech and their actions. And so let's begin with this first section here. Trees are known by their fruit. The idea is that if you pick a, a piece of fruit, you can trust the fruit that you pick from a good tree. You can enjoy eating it. In other words, you don't have to be fearful. When it's a good tree, it's going to produce good fruit. You can't trust the fruit, however, that you pick from a bad tree. The fruit tells us everything we need to know about the tree. We, we know what kind of tree it is. We know the quality of that tree, the health of that tree, maybe even the age of that tree. However, good trees that have fruit growing on them, think about this, they're, they have fruit from various stages, at various stages, right? So like if you pick fruit too early, it's, it's not necessarily ready or ripe. That doesn't mean it's a bad tree, but it's still being developed. That fruit is, is a process. Right? It, it could be in a budding stage, or it could be immature or ripe, or it could have been sitting on the branch too long, have fallen to the ground, and now that fruit is rancid. So good trees must be pruned back and maintained, and the quality and quantity of uh, fruit that it produces, that it... it it's necessary to care for trees in that way. And so trees have a significant, they're used all throughout Scripture for God illustrating his, his kingdom purposes through trees. And even if you think back all the way to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 2, you have this connection between trees and worship in history. There's a, a connection between what a tree represents and the and the and the worship that he calls us to. Notice uh, the very first call to worship comes in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is really a call to adore and acknowledge the goodness and greatness of God. Right? It's another way of, of saying we, we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks. 
This is a, a call to worship. It, it reveals the goodness of God in that every tree in the garden was available to eat from. They could have eat, eaten from anything. He, he provided an abundance of, of fruit for them, of blessing. But it also reveals his greatness in that there was one tree that he forbid them to eat of. Sort of a reminder that they need to obey as well, that they have a superior who, who they need to submit to. And it's that where they get into trouble. Right? Uh, uh, our confession, and I wanted to read it in its entirety here. It's, a, it's only a few sentences here, but the confession of faith, chapter 7, section 2, says this, the first covenant made with man was a covenant of works wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. So this was a covenant of life given to Adam and Eve. And this, in a sense, is the first liturgy. It's the first call to worship where they could, they were called, given commands, given promises. They had to respond to that in obedience and it's followed by an enjoyment of a meal. They could enjoy all of these trees that he had provided for them. But notice what it's shortly followed after. What's the alternative to worship? It's not ceasing from worship. It's false worship. It's idolatry. The very next chapter, chapter 3, verses 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So he's twisting the words of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Also new information that she's giving back, almost like, a, like an added uh, admonition not to even touch the tree. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes shall be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what is the serpent doing? He's calling, he's offering a different liturgy, an alternative liturgy. He's still, it's still a call. It's still a command to obey him rather than God to respond in disobedience to God, and he offers the one thing, the one meal that they were forbidden to enjoy. And so John Gibson says this, the liturgical structure for humanity remained the same, call, response, meal, but the object of worship had changed. So the fall frustrates our enjoyment of God as well as our enjoyment of creation. All of the things that he has given to be a blessing to us are now tainted by the fall. Right? We've, uh, God, or it's, it's still our duty and our delight, in fact, to glorify and to enjoy God uh, by appreciating his blessings and his creation. But now we need something significant to happen within ourselves. Right Now there's something that has been radically altered within our makeup. The implicit point Jesus is making in this text is that corruption, a bad tree, cannot 
produce holiness. That good fruit that brings glory to God cannot be produced by a bad or corrupt tree. So all this talk of moral reformation, of loving your enemies, he now comes to really the crux of the matter. The problem is you're you're incapable of doing this. Original sin, the sin that we've inherited from our first parents, has to be dealt with. What is original sin? And we have this in in, uh, the shorter catechism, question 18. The question says, wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein a man fell? The answer, the sinfulness of that estate wherein a man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness. So what that means is, is that we, we want, we desire original righteousness. We don't have it, and we know that we need it. So we, we, first of all, inherit the guilt of Adam's sin. We want the original righteousness that he was created with. And then, thirdly, and what this text is dealing with, as well as the corruption of his whole nature, the whole nature of man has been corrupted, which is commonly called original sin. So original sin is Adam's first, uh, the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of our whole nature. That has to be dealt with if we're ever going to have a moral reformation. We need a radical heart transformation. So what's been implicit by this idea of trees that are known by their fruit is now made explicit in verse 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces their heart, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a good person has treasure stored up in their heart from which they produce good, and yet the evil person produces evil, stores up and produces evil. And in in one sense, we would say, well, aren't we all sort of hybrids? Right? Can an evil person do anything good? And can a good person do anything evil? Or is it just simply black and white? The reality is that we do still wrestle. We do still struggle with this old nature, with who we were. We have to constantly be reminded. We have to constantly avail ourselves to the means of grace that God has provided. Understanding his word, praying to him, partaking the sacraments. These are things that we need in order to be changed, in order to experience uh, the transformation that he offers. And so, yes, there is, a, there is a sense in which we are still tainted by that old nature. And our speech reveals what's abundant in our hearts. Right? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If our hearts are cold and dark, they will produce bitter fruit. Your speech reveals your heart as... James 1.26. We read, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. A religion that, that is 
that is all head knowledge and no moral transformation or doesn't ever affect the way we speak to one another is worthless. And Jesus uses this language to rebuke the Pharisees. He, if you look in the parallel passage, in Matthew, but it's in chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, he uses almost the same language there, but it's in rebuke of the Pharisees. And, and, and as we've said in this chapter, Jesus has been comparing his own teaching, which was consistent with the Old Testament, to the teaching of the Pharisees. And essentially he's saying, compare the fruit of our teaching, compare the result, right, that people are being healed and changed and, and transformed by the preaching of Christ. And, and what is the fruit of the Pharisees' teaching? It's, it's legalism. It's bitterness. It's hatred. It's rejection. However, this teaching wasn't given for the mere purpose of comparing Jesus with the Pharisees. In fact, in Luke's passage here, he, he doesn't even bring up the Pharisees at this point. And so we should take a moment here to apply it to ourselves. He's, he's calling upon his disciples. We've said that this is Jesus teaching his followers, his disciples. And he's been telling them to use discernment in who they would follow. We looked at that in verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher, will become like the person that we follow. And so we have to be careful about that, who we imitate, who we follow. Well, when you broaden the teaching of God's word, what are, we, what are we to understand about those seasons in our own life where we feel empty, where we don't feel like we have any good treasure from which to produce the good that Jesus is talking about here? Or we're called to produce good, to have good works to show for the, the gospel that has been implanted in our hearts, that we have confessed to believe and to be changed by and yet there are times where we feel empty. Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever think commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So reflecting upon what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, understanding and taking the apostles' teaching and applying it in, in our practice, these are things that we must do. The things that we meditate upon inform the way we live. And it will have an impact on the fruit that we produce. Again, the Confession, chapter 16, speaks of good works. It says, these good works done in obedience to God's commands are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. So are good works necessary? Yes. They're evidence of a true and lively faith. The alternative to that is if you do not have a true faith, if you're not producing any good works, you have no assurance that you have a true faith, that your faith is genuine, right? So good works show our gratitude to God. They edify the body of Christ. It beautifies the gospel. It silences the critics. It brings glory to God. That's all in that same chapter of the confession. Speaking of good works, 
And this is all in agreement with James, which we've just looked at. But again, later on, chapter 2, verses 18 uh, through 22. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Right? This is the fruit. This is the evidence of a true and lively faith is the fruit that we produce. So you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. But the demons aren't transformed. The demons don't produce good fruit. But do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Up his Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? See that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So a faith that is apart from works is not a true faith. A faith that does not follow a a life of good works, then that faith is not to be trusted. And and we may not we may be challenged by that. We may not like that idea. We we talk about justification by faith alone, and that's true. We are saved by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone. But salvation has an ongoing component as well. We're justified by that profession of uh, of faith, that belief, and that resting in the gospel. And then there's an ongoing salvation where God is working and changing us and transforming our hearts so that we are known by our expressions, by our deeds, by our speech. So what's the point of all of the external operations of the church if the heart is not reformed? We can have the best doctrine and have a terrible practice. It's only through Christ that genuine heart transformation can occur. And how is that transformation possible? Because Jesus is not only the judge, but he became the judged. He took the penalty of our sin took upon himself the, the penalty of the, of, of the sin of all those who repent and believe in him alone for their salvation. And so now it's not, through, or now it is through him that we believe that we also become righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that our own lives would produce the righteous fruit that he calls us to. So the enjoyment of true worship is an example of that transformation taking place in your heart. The idea that once again we, we long to worship the true God in the way that he has prescribed. Back to that covenant of works, that first liturgy that, we've, that our first parents rejected and adopted a false liturgy. Now we've come back into a desire for true worship. And that itself is evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you.